Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. I'm going to pick up the reading in Acts chapter 10 at verse 24, and bear in mind as we get to that part of the text, this is kind of the wrap-up of the text, it is here that Cornelius, who is, uh, who is the Roman centurion, interacts with uh, the apostle Peter, and this is what we read. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea, verse 24, Cornelius was expecting them and had called, them to, had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord, and that we'll hear next week, okay? You may be seated, all right? So Peter opens up his mouth right there and starts to share some wonderful stuff, and that's what we got to come back next week to discuss. But let me just talk with you briefly about this story. And as a, it, there's actually two characters in the story, and the third. The third character, obviously, is Jesus and all that he did. But the first character you're introduced to is a man by the name of Cornelius. And here's what I want to remind you. If you don't believe in Jesus, you just want to take a look at Cornelius for a second, okay? So if you don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to unpack something there for you. And here's the second one. If you've made it about your Christian culture, that's where Peter falls, okay? So if all the decisions you're making and what you're frustrated with or what, you're, what you get uncomfortable with is about how you've done church all your life, okay, I just want to remind you, that's for Peter. And here are the two lessons for us, and then we'll unpack them together. Number one, if you don't believe in Jesus, God cares about you even though you've yet to believe in him. You might say, well, I'm, I'm searching it out, Phil. I'm seeking. I'm, I'm starting to discover. If that's your condition, we are thrilled you're here, but I want to remind you, God cares about you even though you haven't yet believed in him. And we're going to see that in Cornelius' life in just a second. And here's the second idea. If you've made it about your Christian culture, God will disrupt your understanding that you might reach those he cares about. That's right. If you've made it about your Christian culture or what you think really matters, um, God will disrupt that understanding because there's people he cares about that he wants to reach. So let's kind of do that together, all right? Here we go. God cares about you even though you've yet to believe in him. So here you, maybe you're here today or you have a friend that you've been trying to share the gospel with, you've been trying to talk to about God, you've been looking for those moments, and they're saying, listen, I don't even know if God cares about me. Just watch this. He knows the details of your life. If that's your situation today, he knows the details of your life. And for just a moment, notice how this passage starts in Acts chapter 10. 
At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known of the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. There are 11 details about this man's life in two verses, okay? First of all, you know where he lives, Caesarea. Secondly, you know that he's a man. Thirdly, you know his name, Cornelius. Fourthly, you know what he does. Fifthly, you know where he works, an Italian cohort. Now you learn some things about his character. He's devout. You understand something about his spirituality. He fears God, though he does not yet know Jesus. You also know something about his family. He's got a household. You also know what he does. He gives generously to the poor. And finally, you know what he does spiritually. He prays continually to God. That is a lot of detail, okay? And yet this man hasn't trusted Jesus yet. That should cause you to understand if you're saying, well, does God really care? I just want to tell you, God knows a lot of details about your life, so I know he cares, right? He knows all these things about your life. You can't say, well, if God really knew this about my life, he wouldn't be interested in me. Not so. He's got all the details down. In fact, when I read that list, I thought the only thing God didn't know was his social security number, and that's because he didn't have one, okay? Like that is a list of a lot of details, If you grew up thinking that God is out there someplace and he isn't interested in what's really going on in your life specifically, that's not the pattern of the Bible. The Bible unpacks for us a God who is very interested in the details of your life. Here's the second one. If you're seeking, if you're kind of wondering about who God is and you're wondering if he really cares about you, God cares about you even though you've yet to believe in him because he sends messengers that you might know he's listening. I love this. Look at verse 3 in Acts chapter 10. About the ninth hour, another detail, of the day he saw clearly in a vision, this is Cornelius, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended to a memorial before God. The angel says to him, God was listening. God was listening. Now, for just a moment, let's just try this out, okay? I have people in my life where I was praying about something, and all of a sudden, somebody starts a conversation with me, like, out of nowhere, right? And I'm thinking, whoa, like, God was listening, right? How many of you would have to say that there was some stage in your life where you would say, I didn't go looking for that person talking to me, but they started a conversation. It's like God knew what I was thinking. God knew what I needed. Does anybody have an experience like that in your life? Okay. We all have. That's great. We all have someone that we would say, in that moment, I knew God was listening. There was a messenger sent to me. And maybe... You might even be saying, well, you know, my life was really difficult. I was facing some real challenges. And all of a sudden, this Christian starts a conversation with me. And that's a reminder of how God cares. God cares in such a way that he sends messengers that you might know he was listening. I love the way even the Bible carries this pattern through the New Testament and the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you may remember, the Jewish people for 400 years were under the slavery of Egypt, and the text actually says that God heard, he heard their groanings and their crying out to him, and he was moved. Okay? God listens when we speak. Here's the third idea. God invites. I love this. God invites you to take steps of faith. Okay? Now, here is this man, Cornelius. He prays even though he doesn't really know the God that he's... Let me stop there for a second. I got to back up, okay? You got to know that Cornelius is a Roman. He, he's given up on all his Roman stuff that he would have believed. Multiple gods, many ways. You can do whatever you want, please a different God. He's given up on all of that theology. 
and he's drawn to Judaism, but he's not yet a full proselyte. He's not become a Jew. He's not tried to become a Jew. So he's sitting kind of on the outskirts saying, I'm closer to them than I am to what I grew up with, but I haven't yet believed. Okay? And into this, I want you to see that God's saying, listen, Cornelius, you're going to have to take some steps of faith even now. And God enables that. Because look at what that angel says. Here's what he's supposed to do. The angel says, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea, even know where he's supposed to be. When the angel who spoke to him and departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. He immediately acted. Okay? And I love that. Let me just walk you through this. There are some, there's something you need to know, even if you're seeking God, about some steps of faith you have to take. You can't just say, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and when God convinces me. There's steps of faith even you take by the power of God who is beginning, the Spirit beginning to draw you. Here they are. And this applies to Christians too. A step of faith will involve unknown elements, have future consequences, and require action on your part. A step of faith will involve unknown elements. You and I don't know the future. We're just guessing. Have future consequences. If we don't make a decision today... Okay, we don't make the decision today. There will be consequences for that. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, but there's consequences. And a step of faith always requires action on your part. That's why it's called a step of faith. Just say that with me. A step of faith. God's not asking you to make a decision as if you know all the future. Okay? He's asking you to make a decision, whatever it might be, as a step of faith. You say, well, I'd feel a lot more comfortable if I knew everything else that was going on. That's not how it works, okay? If you knew everything else that was going on, it wouldn't have any faith involved. There was always an element, I think, of faith that is unknown to us when we make a decision, whatever that might be, and we don't know what the end result of that decision will be. Um, I've had causes recently to just kind of think through how, how I had conversations with people way back in the very beginning. I was recounting this, uh, this conversation that I had with Kim even before we were really dating or before I was close to being engaged or before I was married. I laid out my whole life to impress her. Right? And she simply said, how involved is God in all of those plans? And I am telling you, like for 48 hours... I, was at, I couldn't stop asking myself that question. Right? And, and God just shifted my whole life. Like right there, I had all these things I wanted to do. And, and it wasn't Kim, it was just the question. Like it was just the question. And I just remember, now that I look back at that, I'm thinking that's a huge step of faith for me because I thought I had all these plans that I'd never invited God to participate in. And for the first time, I started to take steps of faith asking, what does God want me to do? Here's the point. A step of faith always takes you somewhere that you don't have all the answers on yet. And you can probably look back in your life and see that. So here's the question. Why, if you can look back and see it, why have you stopped doing it, right? Here's the second part. First one, if you don't believe in Jesus, God cares about you even though you've yet to believe in him. He's interested, okay? If you've made it about your Christian culture, about your church culture, God will disrupt your understanding that you might reach those he cares about. Now, I got to unpack uh, just a little bit of philosophy here for a second. 
Because I looked up the word culture, and the word culture means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. If you're a biologist, a culture means what you grow in the Petri dish, okay? If you're, uh, if you're, uh, if you grew up studying classical music, culture means that everybody else isn't cultured, but you are, okay? Here's the point. If you're a Christian, you too have your own culture. And this is the thing. Peter has a culture. I'm not allowed to associate with Gentiles, he said, and I'm not allowed to eat certain foods, and I can only eat these foods, and I can't eat those foods. And God's about to blow that whole thing up for him. Why? Because God is trying to get Peter to reach those that he cares about, and he realizes there's some walls that have got to come down. Now, let me unpack uh, this definition, okay? A culture is a way of life. Of, this is just a... This is just the definition I'm using, okay? Nowhere in the Bible, but I think it'll set the grounds for us. A culture is a way of life of a group of people, the behaviors, beliefs, values, and symbols that they accept generally without thinking about them, okay? And that are passed along by communication, imitation from one generation to the next. You and I all have something we did in our families, some things we no longer want to do, but some things we do because that's just the way we grew up. We don't even know what those things are anymore or why we do them, in fact, I found this definition uh, at the website, at, at uh, the Texas A&M website, okay? and I was reading it, I was thinking, yeah, uh, they probably got a culture of cowboy hats and cowboy boots, okay, right? Like, there's a certain culture that we just get associated with. Churches do too, okay? And it's really important to understand that if you're not careful, that culture is going to shift kind of how you begin to think. Now, let me unpack it for you. Um, put up five fingers. Here they are, five fingers real quick. Got five fingers. That's because you have five senses, okay? Give me what those senses are. Shout them out, shout them out. Great, I think you got all of them, so let me, let me summarize, okay? Here you go. You have, the, you have the sense of sight, you see things, okay? You have the sense of hearing, you hear things. You have the sense of taste, you have the sense of smell, and you have the sense that you touch things. Because those dynamics are how God created us, Here's what happens. Those things generate memories, a lot of memories. I like to tell people, here's how it works. When you get to be about 30, that's where you're going to be comfortable, and that's the music you're going to like. Whatever music was being played when you were 30, that's what you're going to like the rest of your life. Whatever foods you liked at the age of 30, that's pretty much what you're going to like the rest of your life. And you ready for this? The way you dressed when you were 30, there you have it. That's the way you're going to dress the rest of your life. Okay. The point is, what happens, I think, is that at that stage, our senses begin to lock into memories, and we always remember something. I'll give you my memory. Here it is. Secondhand smoke. Secondhand smoke always, every time I smell it, reminds me of Little League games. Because I'm old enough that when we went to Little League games, the boys played and the dads all sat in the stands and smoked, okay? And I can feel like, I can just feel the leather in my glove. I can feel like I, I can smell my glove again just when that happens. A memory just pops like that, okay? And that's how it is. It can be whatever you smell, taste, touch, hear, or see that generates the memory. And God did that for a very specific purpose that you and I might learn to give glory to him 
when we remember those memories. We can remember God's faithfulness in our life. We just remember it. Whatever it is, we remember it. By the way, in in a moment, we're going to participate in the Lord's table. And that's also, everything about that is, you can smell it, you can taste it, you can feel it. You, You engage in remembering things because of that experience. I can still remember, um, I can still remember talking to my mom and dad when I was like six years old about one of the first times I took communion. I can remember where I was sitting in this little church in the pew, where I was sitting when I was looking at the elements and actually thinking about what Christ went through for me. So when I taste them, I'm taken back to the memory. When I participate, I'm taken back. That's how that works. Now, stop, stop, hold for a second. Know that what happens is sometimes we associate so strongly the senses that we exclusively think God doesn't operate in any other way. And that's why churches all the time say, listen, I don't like that music because that's not the music God spoke to me through, but it may be the music God is speaking to somebody else through. That's why we're about, I I appreciate Jeff giving a, such a great kind expression of where we are, but we're about, to cha- we're about to face the greatest challenge a church ever faces. Are you ready for this? Because we changed the carpet in the foyer. Okay. <laughs> right? Now we're laughing and some of you aren't laughing, okay? <laughs> some of you say, Phil, thanks again. You just brought back that nervous twitch I had from a business meeting from 20 years ago. Okay. The point is, we see things, right? We see the colors, we see the images, we lock into places in our life, just like that. And if a church isn't isn't careful, it starts to become its own culture. And everybody else on the outside says, wow, that's just a little weird, right? How come they look like everything was done like 30 years ago, or 60 years ago, or 100 years ago? And the reason for that is because they have created their own culture. Now watch this. God's going to disrupt that. God disrupts your cultural understanding that you might reach those he cares about. Remember, when God saved you as a Christian, he could have just taken you right to heaven, but he didn't because he had things he needed to do in you and he needed to do those things in you so that he would use you to reach others. So God does three things. He changes, he alters, and he understands. Here's the first thing. He changes your thought patterns through your consistent pattern of prayer. This is what you have to know, okay? He changes your thought patterns through your consistent pattern of prayer. Look with me at Acts chapter 10, verse 9. We move from Cornelius and we talk about Peter, verse 9. The next day, that, the next day, what's the next day? The next day after the angel spoke up there to Cornelius, he... Um, the very next day, this is what happens, as they were on their journey, they've already started to go from Joppa down to Jerusalem, I think about 67 miles or something, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. This is a pattern for Peter, and I'm telling you where he got it, I think. I think, I think he got it from Jesus. Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, is up early in the morning, finds a desolate place to pray, and Peter comes to find him. Hey, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. What are you doing out here? Oh, you're praying. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Jesus. Okay. In fact, the disciples ask him in one of the moments when he is praying, hey, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, oh, okay, here's how you pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Peter has what I'm going to call a consistent pattern of prayer. And God, in that consistent pattern of prayer, starts to change Peter's thought patterns. 
And this is a radical thought pattern, okay? I just want to let you know this is really radical. For a Jewish person to transition to have conversations with Gentiles was radical. For them to eat what Gentiles ate, it was even more radical. I remember reading Walter Wengreen speaks about the fact that he's, it's kind of humorous, actually. He said, can you imagine? All your life, you've never been able to eat uh, certain foods. He said, and then you get to your adult years, and you suddenly can eat these foods that have always been off limits. He said, the problem wasn't spiritual. The problem was they probably had the worst indigestion you've ever seen. Okay? Why? Because they're not used to that. But in this pattern, um, God is about to say, Peter... I'm changing your thought patterns, and the best way to do that is for you to be consistent in prayer. And we note that right there. He went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat while he's praying. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens opened. He's about to see something in verse 12. Now, before we get there, here's the second idea. He alters your perspective through direct revelation of Scripture. This is really important. God alters our perspective on our cultural understanding about what the church should be only through the direct revelation of Scripture. This is very valuable because while I've talked about how churches kind of become their own culture, what you need to know is that a church that says we just want to be like the culture in the world is going to get it wrong too because in this story, he's clearly changing Peter's perspective, but I want you to see how he changes it. In Acts chapter 10, verse uh, 11, I'll pick up the reading there, and I'm going to read this whole section because I just want you to hear it. Here's what he sees in his trance. Verse 11, and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. Now, you can just imagine, he doesn't know what's in that sheet, but he's hungry, okay? So he's probably thinking, I'm so hungry that whatever's in that sheet, I'm going to eat it, okay? Verse 12, and in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, because he probably thought, huh, I can't eat any of that stuff. It's all off limits, because I'm a Jew. Verse 13. And there came a voice to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. It's almost like God said, Listen, you're not going to eat. I'm taking lunch up, Okay. So that's the picture. Now, we know what Peter does with that because immediately it says in verse 17, Peter was inwardly perplexed. Like when he comes out of the trance, there's the direct revelation of God told him what he could do. Okay, he, he saw something that was definitive from the Lord. In that moment, he's confused. That's understandable because all of his life, he's only known one thing. And now God, through the direct revelation of Scripture, has revealed something else. Let me just talk about that and use a metaphor that I want you to see, okay? The Bible says that we have this anchor, something sure and secure, something sure and secure within the veil. It's speaking there in Hebrews of the person of Christ. But all we know of Jesus Christ, I just want to say it so you, you understand it, all we know of Jesus Christ is what we find in the Scripture, okay? That's what we can agree upon definitively. You can say, well, the Holy Spirit revealed this to me about Jesus, and if it matches with the Scripture, I'm okay with that. But we can't make a statement that contradicts the Scripture, okay? That's our anchor. Jesus and his expression of, of who he is through the Word of God, that's the anchor. This is a ship with one anchor, okay? Here's what happens. We have that anchor. We throw it overboard. 
But here's what happens in churches, and it can happen at fellowship, and maybe in the past just happened at fellowship, is the ship starts to rock a little bit, and we feel uncomfortable. And so we throw over another anchor that we're making up, and another anchor, and it rocks over there, and somebody's up front, and they don't like the way the ship feels up there, and they throw over another anchor. And before long, you got this ship with 30 anchors. There is no way that ship's going to move when God asks it to move. It's only supposed to have one anchor. This is it. These are the parameters. Nothing else. These are the parameters. You say, well, what about church that does it that way? What about church that does it that way? My only question is, do they have their one anchor? Because when you start to throw other anchors out, because you're getting a little queasy, it's a little rocky, okay? I just want to tell you, that is a ship that cannot go anywhere. And here's what happens. That ship is going to die because it's not going anywhere. And over time, the whole congregation ages out, right? And all that's left are empty seats. In order for the church to move, the church moves as a living organism because it only has the one anchor, and that's what they cling to. And the rest of the time, they just go ahead and move because that's the way God's directing them. Now, here's what's really important to understand. Peter was totally perplexed, okay? But he could make the change because he had a direct revelation from God to make the change. We are Christians in the 21st century. These are the parameters, We can do anything that the Bible tells us is within our minds to do. Liberty is there for us. However... When an outside culture, a worldly culture, begins to say, do this, do this, do this, do this, we have to first ask the question, does the Bible say anything about it? And if it does, that's what we want to do. Now, even in the expression of that, we're we're not angry because the Bible tells us, listen, you got to love your neighbor. So we need to say it in a way that's loving. But we can't change what God has given us as the anchor. If you pull up the one anchor you're going to crash, okay? But if you throw out a lot of other anchors, you're not going to move. And that's what's happening in Acts chapter 10. And finally, note this. He understands something. He understands it may take you a moment to reacclimate your thinking. God knows this. I love this. God is so patient with us. It's like, ah, they're really going to struggle with that. They grew up for 30 years in that particular denomination, in that particular church, and I'm going to move them, and they're going to get in a different place, and they're going to say, whoa, this is a different kind of ship, whatever that's going to be, okay? And God understands it's going to take you a moment to reacclimate. And I love that. While Peter is sitting there thinking, I'm not even hungry anymore, I don't even know what that vision meant, okay? Now, Peter was inwardly perplexed, the verse says, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. And behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, here they come, having made inquiry for Simon's house. I mean, I just want you to picture the timing of this. Hey, Cornelius says, walk on up there and meet him. Peter's having a dream. As soon as his dream's over, whoa, these people are knocking at the door of the house. It took him a while to find the house. And here we go. Uh, They stood at the gate and called out and to ask whether Peter, who was called Peter, uh, Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, okay, I'm inward inwardly perplexed, I'm pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, here comes that direct revelation again. Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. He goes down. He still does not know what this means. And he goes. 
Wow. There's two things you need to know from our text this morning. Here's the first one. If you don't believe in Jesus, he cares about you, even though you've yet to believe in him. And if you've made it about your Christian culture, what you feel comfortable with, God will disrupt your understanding that you might reach those he cares about. He wants the ship to move, okay? It's not meant to be a ship that puts down 30 anchors. He wants it to move. And he wants you to only cling to one anchor. And here's what I love about the text this morning. Next week, we get into the gospel portion, okay? So come back, come back, come back, come back. Uh, I, I know it's summer, but come back anyhow, all right? So here we go. What I want you to see is this. In both of these elements, it is God's care about us that's driving us to make changes. And it's care, his care for others. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, and we're going to close with a time of around the Lord's table this morning. And if you're new here, that's not long, but it's meant to be a time of remembering, okay? So if you're ready for your cookout, just sit tight for a second, okay? We don't go long with this, but we do give ourselves a chance to think about what Christ has done on our behalf. If you're new to Fellowship Bible Church, this time of communion is an opportunity for you to remember, but you're a Christian, your opportunity is to remember with us what Christ has done, to taste, to smell, to remember what it is that Christ has done. If uh, you don't have to be a member here to participate, we invite that. If you're not a believer, if you're not, if you say, Phil, I'm still uncertain, I'm still seeking, I wouldn't say that I've trusted in Jesus yet. I haven't, I'm not saved. Then I'm going to encourage you, let those elements pass by. Prayerfully consider what God might have you do and talk to him. Think about how much he loves you. Or sometimes I've said, let the elements pass you by and take Jesus to yourself instead. Say, I'm going to place my faith in Christ. For those of us who are believers, it's a reminder, he also wants us right with one another. So that's the other reason why you might let the elements pass by. If, uh, if, you're, if you haven't done everything possible um, to be restored to others, sometimes, again, Romans 12 says, as much as is possible, be at peace with all men. Sometimes it isn't possible. But if you've done your part, then you can participate. But if you know that you're harboring something in your heart against another, then you need to let the elements pass you by. And go find that brother or sister instead. Call them this week. Talk to them. Reach out. These elements are meant to remind us of the incredible grace that Jesus paid when he paid the price for us on the cross. It's a free gift given without strings attached to you and to me. We were undeserving. We were unworthy. We were enemies, Romans 5 says, of God. And yet still, he loved us in such a way that Christ came, died as a perfect man on the cross so that when we believe in him, our sins are put to his account and his righteousness is put to our account. We're going to take a moment and just sing right there where you are in your seats, just a reminder with our voices um, of what Jesus did and then we'll partake in those elements together. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in
Take the elements that are there in front of you and um, remove from the cup the wafer. Just a reminder that that bread is meant to remind us that Jesus suffered, that he was beaten and bruised, Isaiah 53 says, for our iniquities. It is for our transgressions, the sins that you and I had committed, that Jesus went to the cross. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it. Father, we are so thankful for what the bread means. It's a reminder to us of what you went through on our behalf. Such incredible love, such incredible care that you would take our lashes, that you would take our transgressions, that you would pay the penalty for our sins. So we are grateful. We thank you for that. And Jesus said to his disciples, take ye, this is my body, let's do it together. Likewise, with the cup, we're reminded that the cup is meant to represent his blood, blood that was applied to your account and my account so that our sins could be paid for in full. It's an incredible thought, really, that Jesus bled out on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for, I love this, the forgiveness of sins. Let's do it together and remember what it's like to have our sins forgiven. Father, we are humbled and grateful that on this day we can sing praises to your name. We can remember all that you have done for us. We thank you, Lord, for your care for the world around us, and we pray that you would keep us uh, remembering who Jesus is. May that be the central thing that holds us together, not all the other things, but just that. We love you and want to serve you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.